The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. Okay, we are live. I'm Bill Amadeo. From the Madison Amadeo and Rabel Associates. And our live audience has expanded today. <laughs> has expanded today. Alright, gotta do some content. We've been here all day. A little burnout. We're gonna um pay a tribute to Tony Sarico, who was Paulie Walnuts. Tell you a funny memory about James Kahn, may they both rest in peace. Talking about Sadie's Hawkins dances in New Jersey. Cooley speed dating, which was quite a treat. <laughs> and memories of clients that have passed away that we have some great memories of. Alright, let's start with Paulie. Paulie Walnuts, man. What an amazing guy. And if you really want to learn about Paulie, you got to watch his screen reading in... For the life in 1989 on YouTube. Holy, I mean, this guy was tough as nails. Cool guy. Um, my partner Matt used to always see him at Skin Flints in New York on Fourth Avenue, and at the 18th Avenue Fair. He was a New York local. Everybody knew Paulie. He was known as Tony, but he went by the nickname Junior, and he hated the name Junior apparently. With that being said, one Atlantic City memory I have of Paulie was with my good friend Mike Tenuto. Mike Tenuto was an actor and a bartender in Jersey. I acted for a little bit too, believe it or not. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But anyway. Sorry, live audience making me laugh. So, Mike Tenuto was up for this Dunkin' Donuts commercial against Paulie. Paulie got it, but he got to be the really cool guy. When I was a kid... I was an extra on The Sopranos for a couple episodes, and I get to see those guys up live. I think I made like $48 for the day and paid like $60 for parking. It was a pretty successful financial endeavor for me. But, um, yeah, me and a couple friends are walking by um, as uncredited actors in The Sopranos as a kid. Got to see these guys and act. Let me tell you, the cast of Sopranos, they were a unique group. Um, they really felt they were in the Mafia. Some may have been. But those guys lived the part. It was one of the most real shows you'll ever see. Uh, rest in peace, Paulie. And then James Kahn passed away. Great actor. Two memories come to mind with James Kahn. One, he was the coach in the program. And there's this scene in the program. If you ever saw the program, great movie about college football. Very realistic for the time period, right? And James Kahn is the coach, and they're talking about funding. And he's arguing with, like, these board of directors. And he says to this one professor, I never saw 80,000 people come to a stadium to see a chemistry project. <laughs> and he says to shove that bow tie up your ass. Shiawassee peeps. You can relate to bow ties going up people's ass. There's a Brian Boggs joke for you. Um, cool guy. I guess my favorite movie with James Kahn had to be Misery. In Misery, he's this great writer, right? And this lunatic. I'm not going to wreck it for you, but if you didn't watch it, watch Misery. But he has an encounter with somebody, and it takes a lot of weird turns. There was a girl I once dated who used to say to me, but B, I'm your biggest fan. And that creeped me out. But if you know Misery, you'll know why. I'm your biggest fan. Holy shit. Man, I was running for the hills on that one. So, rest in peace, Tony Sirico and James Kahn. Let's talk about the Sadie Hawkins dance. Sadie Hawkins dance is a dance where the girl asked the dot guy. And the band Reliant K, they're a good band. They did this song called Sadie Hawkins dance. It made me think back to one I went to as a kid. Now, understand, as a kid in Jersey, um, I guess I developed later, I wasn't getting asked to these dances. And me and one of my good friends were at this dance, and we are two of the only people that are not asked to this dance. 
And my friend says to me, boy, this really sucks. Because how do you feel about this? So one day, I'm going to be an arrogant prick and wreck these relationships. He had a different outlook on it. His idea was not to come back to the dance. Um, There was like a hierarchy in Jersey. One guy, we'll just call him MC. He looked like somebody took a frying pan to his face. But all the girls liked him. I can tell you, at 45, he's not much better looking. He comes over people I may know all the time. I always see this ugly guy who I couldn't stand growing up. And, you know, the, the one thing that sucks about Facebook is that ass who were nobodies today, but had a little bit of fame of growing up, they get to reunite. Gotta tell you, live audience, it's hard to believe, but this guy is uglier today than he was as a child. And he was ugly as hell as a child. Um, you know, dating in Jersey was always weird. I went to the prom. My aunt wanted me to go to the prom. It was a big thing. Belly, I want you to go to the prom. All right. So there was this one girl. I asked her to the prom. It was a real... And this basically summarizes so much of New Jersey. Um, she left with somebody before me. And years later, she went to date. And I would tell you to look her up at the New Jersey Department of Corrections online, but you, you have to print out a lot of pages. Could kill some trees if you did that, so. Maybe she got paroled now. I don't know. She was... No, you don't think so? She was in rehab for a while. It's a lot better looking in the mid-90s than today. God. I saw that Facebook page. Like, wow. I got a friend request from her, and I thought it was like, oh, some poor drug addict needed, like, some pre-representation, right? And I'm like, oh, sorry, what counter you charged it? And she's like... <laughs> and she said to me, what are you talking about? You took me to the prom. Like, oh, shit. I'm sorry. It's been a long day. These stories are true. So it makes them so good. Which, and I'm, I'm glad to see Sean out here today. Because I want to talk about Cooley speed dating. Let's just say it was like 2005, 2006. And Cooley's do this speed dating thing every term. And there was this one girl, I guess we were dating, I don't know, were we dating? Not really dating. I always was working in the library, right, studying, studying, studying. And I used to meet her on like Saturday nights at 10 o'clock after I was done studying. That was our time to hang out. And this one Saturday, <clears throat> she begs me to meet her at 4 instead of 10. I'm like, well, you know, I got my study method, I can't do it. She goes, no! You gotta meet me at four, please. And she pleaded with me, let's meet at four. Okay. We meet at four. And, um, God, life is so much easier with texting, isn't it? Because, I mean, she's like, call me at the library. Bill, please meet me at the apartment. Okay, so I meet her at four o'clock. We hang out. Whatever, you know. It was just one of those things. It was like, we're just hanging. We're not really dating. So... After we hang out for a little bit, um, I said to her, do you want to get dinner? And she goes, no, I have to go to the speed dating thing. I'm like, what? She goes, well, I'm going to the speed dating thing. And that's why I want to meet you at 4 instead of our normal time, because the speed dating thing starts like 6.30. So you're going to a speed dating thing? And I'm like, well, that's weird. She goes, why? And... I'm like, well, we, we kind of just hung out, right? I mean, I'll buy you dinner. What the hell? And she goes, no, you want to be back in the library. All you care about your work. She goes, so I'm using you for what I need. I'm going to meet my husband at the speed dating thing. Okay. Let me know how that goes. Well, what I can tell you is this. It wasn't a great night for her speed dating. Because about 11 o'clock at night, she was calling me once to come back home. Back to, not home, back to the apartment. Back to the green. Village green. Man, those walls could talk at V green, right? So, I asked her, tell me about the speed dating thing. And there was this one guy. Let's just call him Tim. Tim was like a six-termer. And Tim had failed out of Cooley twice before. And he was there. And what he would do... He had to sit out two years and come back. So this guy, I guess like his mid-30s at this point, trying to get through law school. Hmm? 
Was he older? Or maybe 40? I don't know. Kind of like Rudy playing football, right? Was it? Like, okay. The live one said he may have been like 43. So one of the things he used to get women or these girls, you got to understand, there's these 25-year-old girls that are away from home. And here's this guy. And he's telling you how he's got all these outlines. And he's got all these materials to help you at law school. Well, he had all those materials. He kept failing out. He had to keep buying this shit over again. So he'd like share his outlines to try to meet women. And he'd be outside the speed dating thing. Hey, how was your night? How was your night? How was your night? So he'd be trying to pick up like rebounds from the speed dating thing. And I I didn't attend the speed dating stuff because, well, I'm not a geek. But um, I remember they'd have these articles in the pillar. And the pillar was like the school newspaper at the time. And these people would say, well, I'm going to meet my future wife at the speed dating thing. I mean, so let me get this straight. And I think most people have their minds of speed dating from the 40-year-old virgin. Like, you go talk to somebody for, like, what, a minute and a half? Keep going around the room? So if you ever think somebody's hot, like, you can't stay there because you have to move on to your next one? You better get those numbers quick? I don't know. It was fascinating, but I've got to tell you. Law students at speed dating events. Wow. I don't know. The speed dating thing to me was um, it was fascinating, and you really learned, you really learned like who had self esteem and who didn't. And these poor guys would go to these speed dating events to try to pick up these girls. And, were, and some of these girls, the speed dating things, who I was like hanging out with, they literally would hang out with me before going to the speed dating thing to meet the guy that was safe. They want some poor geek that was going to be a lawyer to get their MRS, you know? And that's what they wanted to do. I'll tell you what. Cooley Bar Passage must... I know it sucks, but speed dating was... They had a higher percentage of connections there than they did in their MBE scores. <laughs> the live audience says, like, VHS sales. No, Jim. It's a one. Um. Okay. Weird stuff. I want to tell some memories of clients. Matt and I were sitting around today and thinking about clients that passed away. It's really sad. You know, in this business, we like to try to make a profound effect in people's lives. And it's really sad when somebody passes away. But we have some amazing memories of some of these people. For me personally... Eric Coleman sticks out so much. This was my first big trial. And John Estes, good friend of ours, client, it was his brother-in-law. And they could have hired anybody in the state. And they hired me. And love you too, Gary Clown. And I will tell you, Eric and I worked so hard on this case we would be in here prepping on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings, and we formed such a bond. And, you know, when we won, just remember, like, the victory dinner and all that, and such a cool connection. After the trial was over, Eric and I would be texting all the time about power. We both loved the show, Power. It's so weird. Because the night before he was tragically murdered, he was texting me about how Councilman Tate keeps escaping shit. Remember I told about this as eulogy. It's tough to talk about. One day, I'll sit down and talk about the Eric Coleman case from top to bottom. But I will say, it was the first client I ever had that I was so connected to that passed away. And there's so many amazing memories of Eric Coleman. One thing that drive me crazy about Eric was he would change his cell phone every two weeks. He'd be texting, hey, B. And it'd be a 313 number again. And I'm like, okay. And if I was, Eric, is this you? You have to tell me who you are when you text. Oh, man. <clears throat> Eric was special, man. Taking from us way too early. But it was stressful. You're in this trial prep. This kid's fighting for his life. And uh, 
I just think back to the grind. And I remember... <clears throat> I just remember, like, after he would leave, I'd put my headphones on. And I would replay my crosses and my directs in my head. <clears throat> there was this one song... Paper Wings by Rise Against. I'll post it later. Such a powerful song. That song has signified so many things in my life, but when I think about Eric Coleman, or I should say, whenever I hear the song Paper Wings by Rise Against, I just go back to the happiest times with Eric. I miss you, E. Great guy. Changed my career in that case. I was scared shitless when I took that case on. It's like I grew up on that case, man, and hmm. it was one of those people you knew you'd be friends with for life when the case was over. He just taken away way too soon. Rest in peace, buddy. For Matt, <clears throat> I think there's no question that Michael Pan is his memory on this issue. Michael Pan was such a cool guy. He came into our office because he saw me screaming on a Facebook Live. <laughs> That's what got him in. And he, it was a contract case and a business case. And he's screaming, I want you. I saw you on Facebook. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing in that field. He goes, yeah, but you scream a lot. I like that. You gotta meet my partner, Matt. And him and Matt, man, they bonded. Like, Mike would come running in here all hours of the night. He was so happy. He, such a cool guy. I remember his deposition. He was having a good time. You know, he was screaming at opposing counsel. He was prepped, yeah. And they had, he's Chinese. They had a Chinese interpreter, and we had a Chinese interpreter. And our interpreter was telling us what the other interpreter wasn't saying. It was utterly, it was like a battle of interpreters. And Mike, Mike used to come in with this Denver Broncos hat all the time, right? He was always working. And he had this Denver Broncos hat on. And I said to him, hey, you big Broncos fan, huh? And he was like, I was crazy. What are you talking about? What's the Bronco? It was just Mike. He had to know Mike. But one of our coolest memories was um, three days before his deposition. We brought him in on Saturday and Sunday, and we prepped him, and we prepped him, and we prepped him, and let me tell you, he told us, this meant a lot to us, it was the first time in his life that lawyers really gave a shit. He felt so connected to us, and we felt connected to him. And while I didn't know civil litigation, it was all Matt and Jen Kelly, my, I learned a lot going in, and my role in this was to basically scream a little bit, Yell at opposing counsel and uh, connect with Mike. Mike Pan, may he rest in peace, was an amazing guy. And he was one of the funniest people you ever came across. If you really got talking to Mike, once you connected, he would tell you the most hysterical stories. And he felt so at ease with us. Hmm. You know, in this business, We have an opportunity to make a lot of money, but I think more importantly, I believe this in my heart, we try to make a difference in our client's world. And with Eric Coleman and Michael Pan, there's no question they made a difference in our world. It wasn't just a job. If I would have lost Eric's case, I would have been devastated. It wouldn't have just been our case. Um, if we didn't come through for Mike, we would have been devastated. And every client gets 110%, but... After a client passes away, um, mm, it really makes you think. Question from the audience, Sean, Bill, back to dating in law school, do you remember the blonde fallen angel from Cooley? Yes, Sean, I definitely remember the blonde fallen angel. She lived with me for a couple months. How's she doing? That may be a DM message, but uh, I'm going to not talk further about that particular fallen angel in this live but i'll answer your question i do remember her extremely well 
Um, <clears throat> okay, you have no idea where she's at. She's in California. Oh, God. Sean, don't type her name out. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Let's. Sean, we'll, um, I'll DM you about that. <laughs> anyway. The jail visit. So there's nothing better to do on Saturday night listening to you rant <laughs> The jail visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. i discuss D Black. Shytown people, lock in on this one. Hmm. <sighs> Black, whoever that is, break we'll break him or her down. Then we're gonna talk about sentencing memos and height of petitions. I'll tell you, man, some defense lawyers just pissing me off right now. We gotta do better, guys. We've got to do better. Defense lawyer, man. We gotta play we gotta go out on a high note. Why are we not going out on high notes? Ned Oz. Yeah, Oz season one. May I tell you, I'm rewatching Oz, and I'm like, how bad were the criminal defense lawyers? Jesus. I mean, we'll break down a few things about season one. It's weird. Because when Oz came out, I'm like in college, and you know, you know a little bit about the law, but actually being involved in the criminal defense, the criminal justice system, and watching Oz today, huh? Wow. Okay. Let's break down D Black. I've been told that D Black has been stirring stuff up with Erin Abera online, posting things like a mentally incompetent person would do. So, D, let's start with this. Number one, we all suspect who you are. We don't know. And we don't know because you're a coward. If you're a man, there's a term we have for you. It starts with a P, it ends with a Y. I gotta watch it because Facebook just put those community standards. So I'll drop some F-bombs later, I'm sure, but I won't use that particular word. But you know what I'm talking about. If you are a guy, this is pathetic. You are a coward. You are a joke. You don't have the balls to actually be a man and step up and say, this is my profile and this is what I'm saying. Hey, Aaron. Glad you're tuned in, Aaron. This is about you. If you're a woman, well, you know, if you are who we think you are, you've shown a lot of signs of instability over the last year. I'll start with this. If you are a man, I am willing to fight you if consent forms are signed. And if you are a woman, I would never hit a woman, I will pay for your copay to get you better mental health therapy. How's that? Let's start with that. My God. I mean, who the hell creates a fake profile to post things online of people they're scared of? That's what D Black is doing. D Black, what a very creative name. I've never seen more drama than Shiawasi on the, these posts. My God. How many groups are there in Shiawasi? And how many, hey Josh, and how many fake profiles are there of morons who are desperately trying to claim their 15 minutes of fame d if you're a guy i mean the only way you would ever get laid if i think you are who i think you are is you know hooking up with some unattractive woman on the board or pretending to be cool and threatening women if you're a woman man i mean you know we should probably you know, put on underwear at county meetings and, you know, take the pills. You want to break those Prozacs in half? I hear they're better that way. Why does D Black have a county IP address? I don't know. Nick, I don't know. I will say this. When I see people like Aaron Abair and Mayor Ken, people who are doing good things in Shiawassee, and of course, you know, Judge Stewart's like a mentor to me. I look up to those people. Josh... Champlain, one of the best journalists in the state. And I see these other morons who hide behind Facebook profiles. It's always sad about Facebook 
because I don't do a competency for you to get a Facebook, right? Any moron can catfish. Any moron can post. The Black. Here's my offer, bro. Me and you. Public debate. I will give you $2,500 cash if you reveal who you are. And we have a public debate. I mean... 2500 bucks. that's more than some people get for offering sex favors and county jobs, from what I understand. So why don't we do that? I'm here, D. Remember, A-M-A-D. I know those vowels get confusing, but, you know, that's where I'm at with it. Aaron Abera, I'm sorry you're dealing with bullshit from idiots, but remember something. Every time somebody insults you in disguise, it's really a compliment. You know, it really is. I mean, good God. How the hell is an idiot with a fake profile thinking they're important? You know? Just, I don't get it. So, D Black. The offer's out there, man. 2500 cash. What do, you th what do you say? We can negotiate a little higher if you want. I mean... I don't know. I mean, it's not as much as you could steal in COVID money, but, you know, it's still something if you want to do that. So, we'll be waiting for you. You ever got the balls to actually deep reveal who you are? I'm all ears. Be a big payday for you, man. So, we're looking for you. We're hoping you tune in. I know you're tuned in. I mean, probably under one of your eight aliases. So, um, yeah, I said what I said. Any questions on D-Black? No? Okay, good. good. Live audience? You think D Black's a moron too? I know, I get it. Okay. So what's something D Black would never do? A sentencing memo and a height of petition. <sighs> Defense lawyers. What are we doing, guys? When you have a kid who is HIDA eligible, what you have to do is a HIDA petition. There's a petition required by the Michigan court rules to have somebody eligible for HIDA. Now in a lot of counties they don't follow this rule, but what you have to do on any plea is make your defendant look as good as possible. When you don't do a Haida petition and a sentencing memo, he said, we're not gonna go out on a high note. We're just gonna roll over, let the chips fall where they may. The petition is required to get your kid YTA. Let's not forget that. The sentencing memo on any plea should be required and in federal court it is you have to provide a memorandum to show the court that you know your client what the f uh oh there's those community standards how are we not going the extra mile for our clients so confused my god as a defense lawyer are we not supposed to advocate for our clients the sentencing memo which I know some Cooley professors say is not required, which is tragic, tells the court, yeah, but there's something in addition to what was in that police report. There's something in addition to that PSI. Let me tell you about my client. Let me make you think about them. Go the extra fucking mile, my God. So pissed off, man. I'm seeing lazy criminal defense lawyers. I'm seeing morons with fake profiles. It's all day, man. I've been exhausted. Traveling all day. Just burned out. I'm talking to Aaron in the gym this morning. And I'm just shaking my head about this moron D. Black. Who, I mean, I hope D. Black's a lawyer. That'd be great. Love to see what their record is. Ah. I can't stand weakness. I just can't stand it. I'll tell you, what I always appreciate is somebody's got to probably say it to my face, not hiding behind social media. Like, why is that? I mean, did somewhere along the way we all lost our man cards? I don't get it. What happened to society when we think it's cool to hide behind social media to attack someone? Whatever happened to having the balls to just say what's on your mind by using your name and your identity 
and facing your enemies face to face. How did we get to this point in society where we're just thrilled to hide behind a fake profile? It is fucking pathetic. God. And I'm sure D Black will post this about me and make some jokes. Yep, I get it. I got a Jersey accent and I got a broken walk. Blah, blah, blah. You're breaking my heart. Jesus Christ. Anyway. So. Let's transition. I know I'm in a weird zone tonight. What's about Oz? Season one of Oz. You gotta love Oz, right? HBO, six seasons. Let's talk about season one. And I'm going to talk to my friend, Aldra Monroe, right now, a.k.a. Red. Back in the day in law school, MySpace used to have these groups, right? And one of the groups we were in was the Oz group. We used to talk about the Oz show and Friday Night Lights, all that good stuff. Oz was somebody, was a show that people just, we talked about, was so far ahead of its time, right? And it's about a prison. And in this prison... There's some concerns. Number one, let's just take season one right now. How do so many weapons get into Oz? Was one of every three corrections officers actually bringing in guns? Did they go through metal detectors? I mean, my God. I mean, I can't go through a metal detector in court with a goddamn water bottle. But in Oz, we're bringing in guns and contraband freely. That was the first thing that threw me away, threw me off. Second was, how bad were these defense lawyers? I mean, okay, let's take Schillinger, for example. Schillinger is an Aryan asshole, and I can't stand Schillinger, okay? I don't like him. However, Schillinger, the racist scum that he is, gets three to eight years for beating up a drug dealer. A drug dealer was selling drugs to his kids. He beats the hell out of them. He gets first-degree aggravated assault, which is a felony version. Three to eight years. Here's a few things going through my mind. And forgive me, because the criminal lawyer's coming at me right now. Number one. Did the drug dealer actually show up to the preliminary examination? And what did that drug dealer say? Yes, I was dealing drugs that day when Schillinger beat me up. I mean, I know certain prosecutor offices don't care about the truth, but, and I'm not talking about Shiawassee there, but I mean, my God, he beat up a drug dealer. Now, you don't have to like Schillinger, but how the hell did he get convicted? Again, did the f***ing drug dealer show up to the prelim and testify? What? First episode, Beecher comes in. Now, Beecher was a lawyer. He ran over a child in a drunk driving accident. He gets a severe sentence. The judge goes way over guidelines. Beecher becomes what they called... Well, he became a girlfriend of Schillinger against his will. The Aryans used Beecher for sex. It was really a whole thing. And we see that Beecher turns to drugs. There's a few things going on. Beecher is getting raped on a regular basis. Nobody's stopping this, right? I mean, do we charge people with that? I guess not inside of Oz. Then Beecher just becomes a drug addict. How is this even possible? Like, how does this lawyer get free reign to heroin on a regular basis? We see Beecher loses his mind. He almost blinds Schillinger. He's a big part of the riots. And if you watch the rest of the episodes, we'll get into all of them as seasons progress, because I'm reviewing all of them. Beecher's a very interesting character. I'm not sure how Beecher survived all the way to the end of Oz, but he does. Spoiler alert. Uh, Adabisi. Adabisi is a character that should really scare people straight. If there's an Adabisi in prison, man, you gotta really think about not committing a crime. That guy was a sick... Dino Orlani gets killed in episode one. He gets burned to death. 
nothing really happens there, criminally. When we finally get to the riot, which is the last episode of the season, I mean, a blind person could have seen this coming, right? Riot comes, guards are getting beaten. Literally, the inmates take over the facility. How does this happen in prison? Really frustrating. And you start seeing other things. As a lawyer, it just frustrates you. When you see how Reba Dow got charged at first-degree murder, think about this. Reba Dow is pissed off at a guy when he's a young man. The guy didn't like his plans, so he stabs him with a knife. That's not first-degree murder. That's probably second-degree murder. Maybe voluntary manslaughter. There are so many flaws in the criminal justice system in Oz. And we'll go through characters another time. But it just it blows me away. It blows me away. How can such an amazing show be solved the criminal justice system? The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Thanks, everyone, for the birthday wishes. Um, those closest to me know I really don't. Not a big birthday guy, but I appreciate all the... um love and appreciation being texted and on my facebook page and all that and i've been working all day i got my shiawassee little band on by the way thank you dear bearers and today we're going to tell a story about 2006 won't be a long one because i'm kind of burned out people always ask me why do you work on your birthday why do you work on the holidays well let me Take it back to my Uncle Sam Ioli. Amazing guy, Uncle Sam. I was poor, and he was a great male influence in my life. He always told me, you work on the holidays, you work on your birthdays, you get ahead of the competition. Believe me, today I've gotten way ahead of the competition. Then, I mean, some of these cases I live for anyway, so whether it's July 2nd or whatever, let's work. And that was always my theory in law school, because in law school, let me back it up. When you're a kid from the ghetto, and I was, you always have this fear. Like, if you made it somewhere, there's a fear of going back. You have two aspects to you, right? There's a fear of going back there financially. There's other thing where you don't fear anything. And I knew law school, I knew law school was like a shot, right? It's a chance. So I'm always studying, 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 studying. My birthday was um, July 2nd, 2006, and I'm in law school. And my plans for the birthday, my plans for my birthday were to study. That was the plan. Let's get ahead, right? Cool. Now, as you can imagine in law school, there's a lot of drinking and drugs and i never even smoked cigarettes so i was you know i was never a partier to say the least but we had different groups of friends and one of the things i did in law school was i played a lot of softball um josh woodman rick canoop they could tell you about that but i also played in law school leagues and it was like the one vice i allowed myself to do like i'm gonna go play softball and there was this one girl, she was in law school shortly. We'll never mention names here. We will never expose names unless there's a consent. We don't want the guilty to be exposed in these stories. So she was in law school. She was out of law school. She was cool. I didn't really know her that well. But she was one of these girls that would rather go watch the law school softball games than be studying the law school library. Whatever. So, on July 1st, which was a Friday, we had, like, a softball league. And I played a couple games that night. And she's there, and she's like, what's going on with you? I'm like, oh, you know, just work. She goes, hey, it hurts your birthday tomorrow. Yeah. What are you going to do for your birthday? Um, I'm going to be studying. And she was really pissed off by this. She goes, wait. You're studying on your birthday? Your birthday's July 2nd. 
Then schools close July 4th. It's time to party. Like, ah, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. And she had another friend with her. Let me describe this young woman. She had a friend with her who was, like, a professor working on her doctorate. This girl looked like the cute librarian. That's what she looked like. Never said a word. Real thick glasses. She would come to the softball games, and the girl she was friends with, the law school girl, was a partier. So it's weird how these two got together, but they did. And this girl would always, like, she'd be at a softball game reading, like, Shakespeare sonnets. It was interesting. She was a reader. And she was kind of nuts. We'll learn that in a little bit. But the fact that the fact that she would actually come to law school for fun with her friend on weekends was an indicator. There might be a little something off here. But okay, whatever. Maybe that's their socialization. You know, like, people went to frat parties. Maybe some of these people went to law school for fun. I don't know. But she's watching me play softball. And like I said, I was kicking ass in the softball field. And, um, there's different groups in law school. Okay. There's your failed jocks. There is your pure academics. There's the people trying to find their way. And I kind of, like, fit in with all these people. You know, I'm like, I'm a failed ball player, but I'm there to study my ass off. I'm pretty much cool with everyone. I don't really hang out with too many people. I had my law school inner circle. But that was it. I didn't go to clubs. I didn't go to bars. Whatever. So. The next night, which is my birthday. The librarian girl. Is. At the library. And. I used to sit in the first. It was actually. Second floor of the Cooley Library, right? I always had my spot. It was like Bill's spot. Everybody knew that. And I would take up two chairs. One would be my study section. Headphones included. The next would be like all my books and crap like that. And I was like giving all these visual cues, leave me alone. So I have my books that I'm studying. Then I got my other books I'm not using at the moment. To the right. And one of the books I had there was The Executioner's Song. This was a story about Gary Gilmore. Gary Gilmore killed Max Jensen and Ben Bushnell in 1976, I believe, in Utah. And his case actually brought back the death penalty to America. And I read all these books on Gary Gilmore. I was kind of fascinated with it. Mikhail Gilmore was a writer for Rolling Stone... And it was Gary's younger brother, his baby brother. And what Mikhail did was he wrote this book about Gary's life. And it was really interesting because Miguel was like the golden boy of the Gilmore family. Anyway, it's late. I always study late, right? I mean, early morning to late, you're there for a mission. Library and girl, she comes up. And she goes, what are you doing with that book? I'm like, hey, what's up? So, just reading it. She goes, but you have all your law school books here. I said, yeah. She goes, so is this for an elective in law school? No. She goes, you're reading the Executioner's Song. I am. She goes, why are you reading it? Well, I find it interesting. So, like, in my downtime, I'll, like, read. She goes, wait a minute. No, 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 that can't be right. Why is that? Well, I saw you play softball yesterday. Uh-huh. She goes, but you also, like, read for fun? So, yeah, it's amazing. You do both. And she likes the, this little giggle, like the snorkel. <laughs> like a little snorkel thing. It was really weird. Remember, she's a geek. She's cute, but she's a geek. Or so I thought. So, her friend comes up. And the geek girl says, Bill reads for fun. And her friend's like, oh, of course he does. Ha ha ha. What are you doing tomorrow? Today was your birthday. You missed out. We're all partying. You know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm not going to party. Um, 
Got studying to do. You're going to study on the third and the fourth? Well, yeah, we're here in law school. Got to study, right? So, Geek Girl cannot get past the point that I'm reading for fun, and it turns out that she is a big literature buff, and she's into writing and prose and all those happy horse and she leads every conversation. My boyfriend this, my boyfriend that, my boyfriend this, my boyfriend that. Okay. Well, she's going on and on about her boyfriend. She says, my boyfriend reads so many books a week. I bet he reads more books than you. Mm -hmm. Is it really a competition? She says, what do you mean by that? So she's going on how he wants to be a professional writer. Okay, cool. He was like in a doctorate program, and what I gathered from her boyfriend was, um, he was probably like one of these guys that lived off his girlfriend's financial aid checks, like to read a lot but not actually work. And it really bothered her that I knew about the executioner song. We're like having this debate about who was the most intelligent Gilmore child. I explained how Gary Gilmore wasn't really the biological son of Frank Gilmore. Apparently, she's extremely turned on by this knowledge. I never thought having knowledge of Gary Gilmore would help me with the opposite sex, but apparently it did. So, they want to have these parties at Village Green. And let me tell you, Village Green, circa 2006, was like when the after parties were. I'd be going home, like the old man, trying to study, with these kids making all this racket. Pretty interesting. So, I'm in the library again, and her friend comes up to me. Now, this was a mistake I made. Her friend says, hey, do you have an extra key to your apartment? Now, I don't have anything in the apartment of value in 2006. But for some reason, I always kept two keys. I was paranoid when I moved to Michigan that if I lost a key, what am I going to do? I need my keys. So she goes, listen, the party girl, I give her my extra key. She tells me she's going to these parties, but her friend, the geek girl, who I kind of liked a little bit, but always bragged about her boyfriend, the literature dude, the parties might be too wild for them. So could she have the key just to unwind and go chill at my apartment and just watch TV? I said, well, yeah, here you go. I said, do me a favor. Winston and Bianca, my two cats at the time. You come to the apartment, just lock them in my bedroom. They have their food and all that. I just, I don't want my cats getting out. But yeah, if you want to go to the apartment, go knock yourself out. I'm going to be working. Now, this was before text messaging was what it is today, okay? This is 2006. And it doesn't feel like that long ago, but it was. So what I used to do was I would put my phone down, earphones on, and I'm studying or reading. It was very interesting how before we were so attached to our phones, and by the way, I mean, do we not live for our phones today? But back then it wasn't as much. So, I'm simply doing my thing. I'm not thinking much of it. I get home, like 10 o'clock at night or whatever. Um, I stop to grab a sandwich on the way home from like the uh, QD. Driving the V Green. And I hear like this noise, little thump, boom, boom, boom. Okay. I know it's not going from my apartment, right? So I walk into the apartment. What the hell? The geek girl is there when I guess her boyfriend came to town, too. And there's, like, lines of cocaine on my 1974-ish couch. There's empty bottles everywhere. There's, like, this group of idiots. Some I knew from law school. Some were just local morons. And it was, like, the party of the century in my house. I'm like, what the hell? Like, where's my cats? If somebody let my cats, I'm going to kill them. I go into my room. The cats are fine. 
but they're looking at me like the cats are pissed off. Like, well, how do these idiots in the house? Now, understand something. As street smart as I am, I'm not thinking that there's going to be some crazy party at my house. I gave this girl to give her geek friend the key to the apartment so she could go unwind. And instead of unwinding from the crazy, they brought the crazy into apartment 307 at Village Green. As I'm getting people the hell out of there, Geek Girl says, hey, listen, I really like you. And here's Geek Girl. I only saw her, like, she would come to softball games like a turtleneck on in the middle of summer. Now, she's got, like, club clothes on, and she's, like, out of it. She, there's, like, cocaine dripping on her nose. Her boyfriend's there, and I'm like, are you really making a move on me in front of your boyfriend? And then he explains how he would like me to join in with them. Like, okay. Everybody, get the hell out of here. They leave. Thankfully, the cops weren't called. I'm just sitting there like, Jesus Christ. And I'm watching my DVR of Oz, drinking a bottle of Gatorade, petting my cats. And um, that was one birthday memory from law school. They say they didn't learn things at Cooley. That's bullshit. I'll tell you, one thing I learned about at Cooley, it wasn't great for helping with the bar exam. It sure as hell did not help you land jobs. But if there was one thing I learned about Cooley is just because a girl is cute and wears glasses does not mean she's not as crazy as some lunatic in New Jersey. And I thank Cooley every day for that. I really appreciate it. Higher education does not negate the crazy factor. If there's one thing I learned from Cooley, it was that. Well, that and if you go to Cooley, I guess you make up your own rules for torts, but, you know, whatever. That's either here or there. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that brief story. I'm out. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.